This is episode 13 with the entrepreneur behind the ankle foot mobilizer, Mr. Matt Ferguson. All right, we have a great episode for you today with the founder of the AFX, the Ankle Foot Mobilizer, Matt Ferguson. Now, before you think this is just a promo for the AFX product, believe me, it's not. Instead, we're mostly talking about shoes, running form, lower leg and foot injuries, and how to build your foot core to reduce your risk of getting a running injury. And what I think you're going to find really interesting is the historical perspective we gave to running shoes, because they didn't always look the way that they do now. And that has a big impact over how we run today. More topics include minimalism, barefoot running, and exercises you can do at home to improve your foot strength. Okay, let's dive in, guys. Please enjoy my conversation with Matt Ferguson. All right, Matt, thanks so much for speaking with me today. I really appreciate your time. Oh, my pleasure, Jason. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on the podcast. So we're talking about feet today and why they're so important for runners. And I, I think I want to start with a broad historical look at running shoes, because I think if we can get a good idea of <clears throat> why some lower leg injuries occur, um, then we'll have a better understanding of kind of the whole, uh, the whole area. And, uh, you know, when we look back on, you know, the Nike boom in the seventies and, that first introduced this mass market running shoe that had a significant heel wedge. And that was the beginning of the shoe industry really spending a lot of money over the following decades on shoe research and building more and more bulky motion control shoes. And I'm curious from your perspective, Matt, what did this do to our feet over, over time? Um, <clears throat> in a nutshell, Jason, it made our feet lazy. Um, you know, the, the foot and ankle complex is an incredibly, uh, uh, intricate combination of over a hundred plus, uh, muscles, tendons, ligaments, bones, and everything else. And it's our feet and ankles have evolved to support human weight and support that weight running forwards, backwards, side to side, and, and, and all other ways. And when you put, you know, the body is, is wonderful and beautiful in that it always looks for the most efficient way to move. And when you put a highly supportive shoe underneath that, your body's going to get lazy. It's, it's just going to, you know, it's, it's simply going to do that. And <clears throat> so when the, the running shoe boom happened, uh, you know, one thing I try to remind people is, and we also, you know, we're seeing, uh, despite all this research and stuff, we're seeing an increasing rise in shin splints, plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendinopathies and the like, is that, look, uh, for 40 years, some really, really smart people have been doing a lot of research trying to come up with the perfect shoe to end injuries, and they haven't done it. So it's not saying those people aren't smart, but maybe we need to look at other solutions as opposed to just what you're putting on your feet. Yeah, there's such a uh, line of thinking that goes, you know, if we have a problem, then I need to buy a product to fix it, when actually you don't need a special pair of shoes, you really just need... Uh, you know, a better functioning foot and ankle. And, and I think that's really important. Um, you know, there's been uh, a lot of studies that show, you know, those bulky motion control shoes actually contribute to injuries. So right. uh, not only are they not really controlling motion, which is what they claim to do, but they're actually contributing to the very high 
uh, rate of injury among runners every year. So I think it's really important to uh, keep that in mind and to really try to focus on fixing the problem rather than addressing the symptom. Absolutely, Jason. I agree with you 100%. And so when it comes to you know these, these big motion control shoes and you have neutral and stability shoes, and then, of course, you go the other route and you can have minimalist shoes, and, of course, there's barefoot running. So I've had this love-hate relationship with minimalism and barefoot running for most of my running career, and I really recognize the benefits, but at the same time, I recognize that running in either extremely minimal shoes or or barefoot introduces a lot of stress to the body. And most runners are simply not prepared to handle that stress because of, um, you know, their their history, you know, their the way that they've lived their lives for most of their life. Uh, and I'd love to hear, Matt, some of your thoughts on some of the ways in which we are weakening our feet today outside of what running shoes that we choose. Right. No, uh, um <clears throat> Absolutely, Jason. And, uh, and I think uh, to jump right into the whole concept of the minimalist shoes and, and why they gained such a bad rap, it was twofold. First of all, some of the minimalist shoe companies started to make health benefits and, and claims regarding health benefits that were simply false. So they ended up in a, in a, uh, quite a litigious situation by their own fault. Um, but to get into the whole concept of the, the feet, the other thing I think what happened was people understood that maybe they needed to get their feet stronger, but they failed to recognize and and they were and we didn't hear a lot of people in the industry aside from people like you talking about okay if you're going to go to minimalist, the transition period is going to be quite a long time like up to a year to properly transition from a, a highly supportive shoe into a minimalist shoe because. You know, from the time, and this gets back to when we're kids, I have two kids, five and seven, and it is darn near impossible to find them shoes that are flexible with a low heel drop and have a nice wide toe box to let their feet move. And so it's a really, really tough thing to do. And from the point where we're kids, they get us into these really hard-soled, highly supportive shoes, and we just grow up with them. We start getting into sports, and what do they do? They start taping our ankles. They start giving us uh, uh, ankle braces and stuff like that as, as a preventative measure, failing to recognize that this will weaken the foot. It will weaken the ankle. And um, <clears throat> so now, you know, you, you end up, maybe you decide to really get into running earnestly in your 20s or 30s or 40s or whenever and the the entire lower leg complex is just not capable of taking on that pounding and it's not to say that you can't um you just it, it has to be one of your major training goals is to really focus on strengthening the feet and the ankles yeah and if you look at uh say barefoot running or running right. in Vibram five fingers, yeah. that is almost like doing a marathon. And if you're a new runner, you're obviously not going to run a marathon on day three of your running career. <laughs> yeah. That's just silly. And, and I think any listener here is going to say, yeah, that of course, Jason, that sounds reasonable to me. Mm -hmm. But anyone who goes and tries to run, you know, even a relatively short distance of three, four five miles barefoot or in very, very minimalist shoes uh, that is almost like trying to do a marathon on the third day that you've ever gone running. You know, enormous stress. You're simply not ready for it. And injury is most likely to occur. And, you know, you mentioned minimalist shoe companies that have 
experienced all this litigation because of these dubious health claims they've made. You know, Vibram Five Fingers is, I think, the the biggest example of that, and they had to settle a class action lawsuit for, I believe it was it was a, a very large sum of money um, to uh-huh. the tune of tens of millions of dollars, because they said, you know, wear our shoes and your injury rate is going to go down. Um, as as podiatrists around the world know, uh, Born to Run, Vibram Five Fingers were an absolute boon to their industry and to their practices because they were seeing a lot of patients with Achilles tendinopathy, plantar fasciitis, uh, foot and uh, you know lower leg stress fractures. And you know what people need to realize is that they need to build the foundation first before they jump into either running barefoot or in very minimalist shoes. Oh, absolutely. And what's funny, you should mention that, Jason, because <clears throat> the, you're right, podiatry and sports medicine doctors and everything else, they saw a huge, huge rise in the number of running-related injuries, and it was quite a hot topic. I know you were in the middle of it with social media and everything else. Well, in my role, having a, a company that has a product that has something for strengthening the foot and ankle, I was like, right on. They're going to talk barefoot running, and we're finally going to have a real conversation about the importance of muscle strength and tendon strength and great range of motion and how it's important to build the base. Yeah, no. (laughs) That just didn't happen. And it was really disappointing for me, um, just, you know, the scientist background. uh, It was disappointing from that regards because I was really hoping it'd be a good conversation. And honestly, from the business perspective, too, I was like, yes, this is going to, you know, it's going to be great. We've been we're going to break through here and see see a big, big appreciation and understanding. And yeah, it just kind of got lost in uh, lost in the rhetoric. Yeah, there's this concept of, you know, whenever this new a new fad or a new trend comes out, you know, the pendulum always swings way, way to one side toward that fad or trend. And what ends up happening is that, you know, you swing way too far to one side. And then what inevitably happens is that there's some backlash, um, things don't work out, and then you swing to the other side. But eventually you kind of settle somewhere in the middle. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on um, how we can build that foundation that we talked about for getting stronger feet, getting stronger ankles and lower legs so that we can build that foundation, reduce our injury risk, and hopefully run in less shoe. Because I'm pretty bullish on running in less shoe. I'm not necessarily saying minimalist shoes, but you know, I think most runners can run in a lighter, less supportive shoe if they do it the the strategic way. So what are some ways that we can help with that transition? Absolutely, Jason. Um, Well, and I think even before we get into exact exercises, um, the first thing we take a look at is how runners use their feet and ankles. And what we typically find is that runners are very, very strong through an extremely limited range of motion. Um, and that is, if you think about your average run, most people go out, they're on relatively flat surfaces, they're going in a straight forward direction, and they only use their foot in a, in a small amount of plantar flexion or, or pushing their foot down. And they don't really have opportunity or incorporate into their training the inversion, eversion, or the side-to-side lateral movements. And they don't necessarily put in dorsiflexion, which is pulling your foot towards your shin. They don't necessarily do very steep hills and very steep declines and things like that that really test and strengthen the foot through that full range. And 
So whenever they're looking to strengthen their feet and ankles, I always recommend the first thing they do is they consider the concept of what's called foot core. And uh, I, I know you're familiar with the term, Jason, but foot core was coined by a group of researchers, uh, including Patrick McKeon out of Ithaca and Irene Davis, who's at the Spalding National Running Center at Harvard University. And it was really that concept of trying to get to, to get the message to people that their feet are very much like the abdominal core and it needs to be strong in all ranges of motion. If someone has a bad back, they need to be strong front, back, side to side. It's the same with the foot. And so when they start doing those exercises um, to strengthen their feet and ankles, you need to start looking at strengthening opposing muscle groups, right? Because again, runners, very much limited range of motion, that plantar flexion. So they need to want to start doing some exercises that are going to strengthen their dorsiflexors, their inverters, and their everters, uh, uh, and, and also improve their range of motion, which is sometimes something that gets uh, missed when we start talking about foot and ankle strength, it's like, okay, yeah, I got to make my feet strong. But also remembering that feet need to be strong and mobile. They need to be able to move. They need to be able to be, be flexible and mobile through a full range of motion. So that's, sorry to kind of go off on a little segue, but I think that's, I really want people to get that mental imagery of, okay, right, my foot does. You know, if they're listening to this podcast, look down at your foot. Look at all the wonderful ways that it can move. Try to strengthen those ways. Yeah, that's really important too. And maybe before we actually get into specific ways that we can strengthen our feet sure. and lower legs, you know, you mentioned a couple things that I want to hit on that are really important, like um, running. You, you know, you only run in a straight line. You never run up any steep hills or steep downhills, and you're essentially limiting the ways in which your body moves. And one of the principles of my coaching philosophy is that I like to introduce a lot of variety into a runner's training program. Now, some of this is, you know, really high level variety, like, you know, let's not train for a marathon two to three times a year, every single year over and over again. Let's train for different races, work on different types of uh, racing skills and do different workouts, you know, that that's really important too. But then it also gets down to the nitty gritty things like let's rotate several different pairs of running shoes so that your feet are experiencing different types of stresses. And um, something that I think is really pertinent to this conversation is, uh, besides, of course, rotating several pairs of shoes, is the idea that running trails or running off-road is going to actually – Put your foot and really, you know, your entire leg in a, a different type of environment that's going to force it to move in a lot of different ways. So you're going to be taking more turns. You're going to be navigating more routes and rocks and, and other obstacles. And there's probably more uh, uphill and downhill elevation changes than if you were just running on the road. So that is I think such a great way to work in more variety and really make sure that your foot is going through different ranges of motion and it's, you know, it's turning more to the left, to the right, it's dorsiflexing and, you know, it, there's just so much variety there that I think should not be overlooked. Uh, absolutely, Jason. You're, you're kind of taking away all my talking points here. No, <laughs> uh, no but we're, obviously we're on the same page. And uh, But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I'm a big fan of, of trail running because you put your foot in a safe 
un, like in a safe way on an unstable surface, it's going to strengthen that ankle. And the other one is too, is this time of year here in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, as people are having to spend more time on the treadmill, right on the treadmill, that's a re- another really good way to maybe add some variety to your workout. If they're on the treadmill, um, you know, it, at the end of your run, as opposed to just, okay, I got to pound out a 45 minute run, do a 35 minute run and take those last 10 minutes or last 15 minutes and really increase the incline. Okay. And, and slowly run. And, and, you know, if you can go with a minimalist shoe or, uh, I, I love your point, And that's another thing we stress to people is change up those shoes. Give every time you wear a different shoe with a different profile, it gives your foot a different workout. It simply does because the foot has to react differently. And so if you have a pair of Vibrams, you can slip them on and you can, at the last 10 minutes on the treadmill, you can do side to side shuffles. You can, you can do, um, you know, lunges, slow lunges on the treadmill. I, I have to laugh, actually. <laughs> I'm sure we've all in the running community, we've seen these videos where people are on the treadmill and they're dancing. Have you seen those? Uh, I've seen a lot of people do a lot of wacky things on treadmills, <laughs> believe me. Well, they have some you, quick, you know, quick YouTube search, dancing treadmill. And there's some people and they're amazing. The dances they do and everything else. Now, you look at it, it's funny. But when you break it down biomechanically, it's actually an absolutely brilliant workout. They're moving backwards. They're moving side to side. They're doing crossover steps. They're doing all these amazing motions and movements. And it really from a biomechanical perspective, it's a great all-around workout. Now, I don't think most of your listeners are going to necessarily throw caution to the wind and, you know, crank up the tunes on the headphones and just start firing out on the on the treadmill dancing. But um, you can do side-to-side work. You can do lateral work. You can take those last 10 or 15 minutes on the treadmill. And not only is it going to be a nice physical break, it's going to be a nice medical uh, mental break as well. Yeah, you said something about shoes that I want to go back to. And, sure. you know, I mentioned rotating different pairs of shoes. And, you know, you said it's really important. I get a lot of questions about this, actually. And most people ask, well, do I need to wear different models of shoe or brands of shoe? And and here's here's kind of my thoughts on that. No, you, you can we can wear all Nikes if you want, all Asics, whatever. The real benefit here is when you're wearing different models. So yeah, they could be all Nikes, but different types of Nikes. And the reason why is that every shoe has a slightly different um, stack height, meaning how high it is off the ground. It has a different heel toe drop, which is the differential in height between the forefoot and the heel. It has different arch supports, different uh, materials used in the sole, uh, different levels of support all around. And that's the reason why we want to rotate shoes. And it's funny, this is, you know, something I've been telling runners to do for, you know, I think ever since I became a coach. And for a couple years, there was really no research behind it. It was more like this was an example of the art of coaching rather than the science of coaching. And it's funny, a couple years, um, you know, after I started making this recommendation, there was a study that came out that showed runners who do rotate more than uh, one pair of shoes actually has a lower injury risk. So if you know, you're listening to this and you want to reduce your injury risk. This is a really easy way to do that. Just have two to three pairs of shoes, different models, and you can rotate them for different purposes. Maybe your more cushioned shoes are for, um, 
you know, long runs and then you have a more minimalist shoe for either your shortest runs of the week or you change into them for the faster portion of a uh, faster workout. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but, you know, the underlying principle here is the rotation is going to help your body experience different types of stressors. And by doing that, you're going to reduce your injury risk. Um, one more thing that uh, you mentioned, Matt, that I thought is really awesome I want to discuss a little bit is, you know, this this idea of dancing on the treadmill. You know, I, I don't think you need to dance on the treadmill. Uh, you know, you can save that for, you know, Saturday night or whatever. But it is such an instructive idea. And I think it all comes down to being an athlete, not just a runner. You need to be able to move in many different ways. And, you know, when we look at, uh, you know, some of the best African runners, and we look at their training, you know what they do, you know, from a very young age, as soon as they go to these big uh, training camps, they're doing uh, every single day, they're doing drills for a long time, all kinds of different skips and hops and all, all these other different types of form drills, because we really want the body to be able to move efficiently through many different planes of motion and also uh, to be able to move efficiently through different types of motion. So side to side, uh, you know, of course, front to back, which is what runners are most comfortable with, uh, but also in the transverse plane, which is rotationally. Uh, so these are all really important things that uh, most runners just don't do. And, and I, I think that's a shame. I think if we were to work on our athleticism a little bit more, we would all be much better runners. <clears throat> Absolutely, Jason. And you've hit the nail on the head, too, because it's when we talk about uh, strengthening opposing muscle groups, and we've been talking a lot about injury prevention, because it certainly helps with that. But it's also if they want to improve their performance. Because, again, getting back to the fact that a lot of runners don't necessarily have good um, rotational stability, not very good uh, lateral stability, either inversion or eversion, um, what can happen is if, if your feet and ankles aren't strong, if they aren't a firm foundation, over the course of a race, whether it's a 5K, a 10K, or a marathon, your body is expending energy to keep you stable right? To just keep you upright. And if those muscles aren't strong enough, then you're expending more energy. And then what can really happen is that let's say after even with a 10k race at mile three, if your feet and ankles start the muscles, those small muscles that give the stability, if they start to give out, well, then another muscle group has to compensate to do so, whether it be your knees or your hips. And that's why a lot of the times when you see in longer races, your half marathons and your marathons, where people are really suffering biomechanically, they'll say, oh, my knee started to give out or my hips started to give out. You know what? Nine times out of 10, I bet you that's coming from originally their feet and ankles because they don't have that nice, strong base. So for your people listening out there, if if injury prevention isn't a big deal, um, and it usually isn't until you're injured, let's be honest, we're human beings, um, but certainly athletic performance and getting back to your point, which is an excellent one, Jason, and that is being better athletes can really, really pay dividends in terms of PBs. Yeah, absolutely. There's a serious performance component to all this stuff. And you used a great term that I want to come back to, which is foot core. 
And, um, you know, there's a really phenomenal book that I actually recommended in, I believe it was episode seven of the podcast called Anatomy for Runners by Jay DeSherry. Yeah. And he has this whole section on foot core and how uh, actually 85% of your foot stability comes from the big toe. And this is the toe's ability to press firmly down upon the ground and not necessarily while uh, yeah, scrunching the toe. You're not really clawing the toe at all. You're really just pressing it straight down into the ground. And that's where the vast majority of your foot stability comes from. Um, so, Matt, can you talk a little bit about the role of the big toe in uh, you know, the gait cycle and why it's so important to have a, a strong big toe as part of your overall foot core? Well, uh, certainly, and, and Jay is is phenomenal. It's funny, Jason, in the uh, in the book Anatomy for Runners, it's the only time that uh, you might recall. There's actually a picture in there of a foot that has the abs that looks like it has an abdominal core, and that's actually the AFX logo. Um, sorry, and that's for people listening. That's my product, but um, that's and it's the only uh, permission we've ever given to print that out because we believe so strongly in what Jay is talking about. Um, but absolutely, and, and not certainly the, the strong big toe is absolutely critical. You hear in other sports, athletes being out, especially football, with turf toe, right? Um, and, and you're like, how can this, you know, 280, 300 pound person be out because of a sore toe? Um, and essentially what it is, is they've developed turf toe and it can hamper and inhibit your athletic performance so much because we don't, again, it's like the rest of the foot. It's not something we really think about. But even now, as people are listening to the podcast, push your foot down on the floor. Give it a push and, and sort of roll your foot. You're going to feel certainly pressure on the, the ball of the foot. But then as you go into more of what's, you know, a full extension, you're going to feel the big toe really take over. And if there's a weakness there in that push-off phase, you're either going to, again, see a reduction in your performance or you're going to have a significant increase in your chance of getting injured because other muscles and other tendons will have to compensate for that weakness. Yeah, you know, I actually have Anatomy for Runners right here in front of me and your logo is on page 120. So if anyone wants to take a look, it really is a, a great picture. And uh, there's one sentence here that that i'd love to read off because it's so powerful um shoes don't stop the arch from moving and they don't improve the timing of your muscle control this is your job and that's where you know the the issue of strength and making sure that you do have a strong foot core comes comes into play so um let, let's talk about all the different ways that runners can strengthen their feet you know we've talked about um, you know, gradually wearing less shoe, running more trails, rotating between different shoes. And, and I think these are good things to do all the time. But let's say there's a runner with a history of foot or lower leg problems. And this is the type of runner that I think would actually benefit the most from more targeted foot strength work. So let, let's talk about all the different ways that we can get stronger feet and ankles. Absolutely, Jason. And <clears throat> one of the things that uh, I should mention right off the bat, the, the exercises that I'm suggesting um, are all things that you can incorporate in your day-to-day. -day. 
these first exercises. Um, and because that's, and it leads to the point where, uh, to get back to what you were talking about, there's things you can do and all the suggestions you've had, uh, in terms of changing up your shoes, in terms of running different, uh, trails and, and changing your running surfaces and everything else. This isn't telling people out there to do more. It's telling them to be a little bit more strategic in how they're doing what they're already doing. So that we're not saying, yeah, you got to add another three hours of training onto your week. Most people are too busy. Um, so, uh, the, the exercises that I'm going to suggest are just things that you can incorporate day to day without any special sort of, uh, equipment or anything else like that. Uh, one of the things I love to tell people is, and again, when you can slip off the shoes. Okay, get get barefoot, uh, sock foot, whatever. Uh, if you're at day to day, if you're standing at a kitchen counter or if you're talking on the phone at the home or the office, uh, even in line at a store, uh, you can stand on one foot for 30 seconds. Just try to stand on one foot for 30 seconds, uh, then switch to the other. You can raise yourself on your tiptoes. Now, again, it's nice if you're standing near a desk or a countertop because you can put your hand on there, but you just raise up onto your tiptoes. Do Heck, 10 to 12 uh, reps, do a couple of sets of that, again, while you're doing stuff. Uh, once you feel strong enough, try doing it on just one foot, um, just one foot at a time. And another one that's kind of neat is if you're standing there talking to someone or uh, if you're talking on the phone or, or, again, at the kitchen counter, one foot at a time, raise your toes towards your shin in a dorsiflexion movement and just hold it. Just hold it and start to engage those muscles doing simple little things like that starts to improve your proprioception. And then the final one, which seem is getting a, a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, I guess interest and, and for good reason is called foot doming. And I know Jason, you're familiar with it and I'd, I'd encourage the people listening to take a look. Uh, just it's pretty simple, but pictures and video make life a lot easier. And that is again, barefoot. You just simply sort of try to scrunch your toes up towards your heel. Okay, so you slide them along the ground, really emphasizing that arch, and that's to engage those intrinsics. It's to get back to Jay Dachari's point of, of strengthening that big toe, and it's something super simple you can do. Um, and then I was also, I, I often suggest if people are going to the gym, if they are doing a bit of a workout, uh, again, here are some exercises you can incorporate when you're at the gym. I do encourage you to try to do them barefoot or in a, a barefoot type shoe or a minimalist type shoe at least. Um, and that is if you're doing squats or lunges or any other lower body weight exercises, try them barefoot. My only major caveat to that is definitely lower the weight. Okay, you got to take the ego. If if you're squatting 200 pounds, you got to take your ego tuck it in your back pocket, okay, drop the weight significantly, get in front of a mirror and really look at your form. Because if you've been wearing heavily supportive shoes and all of a sudden there's no support there and you will see your ankles and um, you'll see the arch of your foot collapse, okay, because they're just not used to it. You've got to go slow. Um, side to side, lateral lunges are fantastic. Again, most people are just by the nature of our sport, are incredibly weak laterally. If you can do some nice, slow lateral lunges in front of a mirror, paying attention to form, look to make sure that that ankle and that foot are lined up nicely behind that knee or underneath that knee and the hip. Um, another piece of equipment, I know I said there's no equipment, but one piece that's really handy is at the gym, you'll see the BOSU balls. 
right? The half dome balls, blue side or soft side up, just get on there. And again, barefoot, just stand on one foot, go up on your tiptoes, uh, things like that. And, and these are just little things you can do. And, and as you begin to incorporate some of this stuff, you don't have to do it five times a day. If, if you can do it once a day, um, then that can really start to improve your strength and your proprioception. Yeah, wow, there's so much in there. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's great. There's so much in there that I want to talk about. Uh, You mentioned so many things. Let's just start with, uh, you mentioned proprioception. And just in case uh, there's someone who's not familiar with that, proprioception is your uh, ability to determine where your body is in space. So uh, any athlete who... Uh, has a high degree of skill in their sport, has very high levels of proprioception. You know, it's like the gymnast who can flip up in the air and, you know, do a lot of flips and turns and then land, you know, right where they are trying to land and with the right foot placement, you know, it's really knowing your body and uh, how it's moving. And so when you are able to do some of these exercises that, that Matt has talked about, uh, you're going to increase your level of proprioception. You're going to be better uh, at balancing. You're going to be better at knowing where your body is and how it's moving through space. And that's going to help you be uh, a much better, more efficient runner. Um, you also mentioned casual shoes uh, or you know, wearing very supportive shoes outside of any exercise that you're doing. And I think this is a good a good opportunity to really hammer home the point that if you're an athlete, you're an athlete 24 hours a day. It really is a lifestyle. If you want to qualify for Boston, run a, your first ultra marathon, crack 20 minutes in the 5K, you really need to think of running as, you know, a kind of a a lifestyle. And what does that mean? That means, you know, you're getting enough sleep at night, you're eating really well, you're thinking about proper fueling, but it's also thinking about the types of shoes that you wear. And I know for me, if I wear, you know, uh, very constrictive, very, um, uh, very, let's see, what's the right word I'm looking for? Uh, well, rigid, dress shoes. Stiff or, yes, yes, absolutely. Dress shoes. Yeah, very, if I go to a wedding and I have to wear, you know, my, my most business-like dress shoes, I know that especially after dancing in those at night, and uh, I don't dance just on the treadmill, also at weddings, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm going to be really sore the next morning because these shoes are really not made to, uh, to move very well in. And, you know, if you're, if you're a woman and you're wearing high heels, if you're a man and you're wearing those type of very constrictive dress shoes, then, you know, you're constricting your feet. You're constricting the movement that, uh, your body really wants to go through and you know that's not going to help your running whatsoever no and i had to i'm glad you mentioned high heels jason because i was gonna i was gonna mention it that right now there's a bunch of women listening to the podcast going oh poor guys having to wear dress shoes eh <laughs> but yeah no um definitely high heel shoes and what's interesting though jason you mentioned proprioception and how elite athletes are often quite good in in having a great awareness of where their body is in space. But the funniest thing is, is you would be amazed how many, when it comes to their feet and ankles, it's terrible. I have put, again, our, our product, AFX, I've put it on the feet of professional NFL football players. I've put it on NBA basketball players. And you would be amazed at how weak their feet are and how poor the range of motion is. 
And what's amazing about that, the reason being is a lot of the time since these kids were starting to get into an elite level of sport, say 11 or 12, they've had their feet and tape or feet and ankles taped. And so if you watch an NFL football game, you will see that, especially the linemen, the O&D linemen, they're basically taped from mid-calf down. And they, it's like they have these big cinder blocks in the bottom of their legs. It's actually quite funny. And it's, uh, it's pretty hilarious to see the humbling look <laughs> or the humbled look that they give you when they, they strap in and try to do the exercise because, yeah, they can't. They just do not have the strength. Yeah, and especially those guys. They're they're doing everything they can to play in a game that is very abusive physically, yep. and they don't care if they're hurt. They just want to play because that, you know, the I think the average career in the NFL is like three and a half years. That's it's right. Really short, and um, you know, they focus on kind of the big muscle groups because that is what's most important for running, you know, sprinting as fast as you can and, uh, you know, tackling other other athletes. But, you know, as runners, you know, we really need to focus on those smaller intrinsic muscles. Um, so let's get back to that, Matt. You know, we, did, yep. we talked a lot about um, uh, being barefoot around the house and, you know, standing on one leg. And I think some of those uh, drills really help with not just proprioception, but also uh, balance and stability. And, you know, until you have some balance and stability, you're really not going to be very strong. I think stability comes before a lot of strength. And, you know, one, once we've worked on stability with balancing on, on just one leg, uh, maybe doing some, some strength or core work barefoot, you know, I definitely recommend, uh, you know, especially if you're doing a home routine, you know, if you're just doing, say, the ITB rehab routine or the standard core routine, these are both uh, workouts that, you know, I've developed on strength running. Uh, but if you're doing any of these at home, there's no reason to do them with shoes on. You can take your shoes off and it's just a really nice way to connect with your feet again and to promote some uh, not only neutral alignment, but also some additional strength. Uh, let's get into some more some real strength exercises. How can we really develop more strength in the feet? Um, well, <clears throat> it's uh, I think that in terms of, of, again, getting back to a little bit what you were talking about, if people want to then do that next step is at the conclusion of their run, um, they can, again, slip off the, the, the feet, or slip off the feet, sorry, slip off their shoes and really look to engage those feet. Um, now, I know it's not available to most, but if you can do running drills in the sand, that's amazing. Um, it, it really, uh, that unstable surface that the sand is, the, uh, uh, the ability to move your foot and actually have to start to use your toes to grip, uh, really engage those intrinsic muscles, really engage the muscle of the large toe, things like that, um, in the sand is ideal. Now, for a lot of people, we can't do that six months out of the year, maybe even eight months out of the year, uh, but also even on grass, you know, um, is is a really good way to do it and then you know i think that uh, a lot of what we've talked about already in terms of just slipping off the shoes when you're doing some of the programs that that people are following on strength running that'll get them a long way there after that then you want to start looking at specialized equipment um the bosu is a good piece of gear i think wobble boards and balance boards they're okay 
But the problem I've always had with wobble boards and balance boards is they're okay for strengthening the uh, part of the ankle and sort of the lower half of the leg. However, because your foot can't arch, because you can't uh, engage the toes, engage the intrinsics, and fully engage the muscles and tendons of the foot, you can't fully strengthen. So uh, while a BOSU will allow you to kind of do that, um, the... Um, the, the wobble boards or the hard balance boards really aren't aren't made for that. And then, of course, uh, without being into shameless product promotion, that's honestly, Jason, why we built AFX. Is when myself and the other guys that created it, when we built it, we built it because we went out there looking for something that would really help strengthen and fully engage the toe flexors and the intrinsics and the tendons and the, the muscles and tendons that cross over the ankle to give stability and all we ever found were rubber bands and they slip and they slide and they break and everything else. So, you know, I don't want to get into a, a product promo here thing, but certainly for people who've had plantar fasciitis and shin splints and Achilles tendinopathies and they, they deal with fractures and, and all sorts of foot and ankle pain, that's the sort of the next level that you go to because you can strengthen up to 200 pounds and you can go through a full range of motion you can add eccentric loading and and really engage that foot and ankle and really try to drill down to the the base of the weakness to make it a strength i don't mind talking about your product i think oh, okay. uh, i i own your product and uh i i use it especially uh during the winter months when I'm not doing barefoot strides, when I'm spending less time in uh, either barefoot or, you know, with in flip flops and things like that that allow my foot to move uh, in a more neutral and natural way. But, you know, I, I think there's certainly a, a time and a place for a more targeted uh, foot strength. And I think especially if, you know, you're talking about sand exercises and things like that, if anybody goes to the beach for the first time over the summer, and, you know, they spend maybe the whole day there, they're running around with their kids, and the next day they wake up, their feet are probably going to be really sore. And it's a great example of how we let our feet atrophy, especially over the winter months when we're wearing boots and constrictive footwear and we never spend uh, th that much time barefoot. That is a time when... Uh, you know, you're really going to let the, the intrinsic muscles and, uh, you know, all of those smaller muscles in your foot and lower leg atrophy over the winter. Uh, and then, you know, it's going to start to get warm out. Uh, you're going to be feeling great in the springtime. And this is always kind of this difficult time for runners because the weather's starting to become really nice outside and they want to go run their workout or, you know, they get a little bit too gung ho about their training. You know, runners are pretty type A and they want to do more or they want to go faster. And it's this, this interesting time of year because of the seasons and, and what happens in the, over the winter when it's a time where you are just ripe for an injury. Uh, so I think we just need to be careful, uh, you know, after the winter when we let our feet atrophy. So how does the AFX actually work? Can you describe it? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> well, the AFX was developed to help strengthen and improve range of motion of the foot because, of course, we need to be strong, we need to be mobile. Um, it, uh, the basis of it is what we call a, a, our a foot support. It's a flexible foot support. So it allows with every movement, with every exercise, with every rep, it allows you to flex the toes 
arch the foot, engage those intrinsics, and also fully engages the muscles and tendons of the foot and ankle. Now, it's a non-weight-bearing device, so that means that you, you can sit down and while you're you know listening to this podcast, uh, or you can sit there, you can sit down, and you can do exercises through the complete range of motion in a safe but effective way. And we, uh, we use um, a military-grade bungee so that we can provide from a very low level of resistance to a very high level of resistance. Because when we were developing the product, we went out and we took a look at the current standards of care, and we realized that the problem, there were many problems with rubber bands, uh, but one of the biggest one that really wasn't appreciated is people might go and do reps and, and get resistance up to 14 pounds, but then they transition to full weight bearing and wonder why they get re-injured. Well, unless you weigh 14 pounds, when you transition uh, from 14 to 120 or 150 pounds or 180 or 200, there that's too big a gap. So it allows people to strengthen uh, easily through that full range of motion, inversion, sorry, lateral, side to side, so inversion, eversion, your dorsiflexion, but then quite quickly uh, be able to also improve range of motion. And, and really, because a lot of the times people, if they suffer from plantar fasciitis, um, their point of pain is the plantar fascia, and you want to be able to strengthen the muscles of the intrinsic muscles in your toe flexors that help support the fascia, but you also want to improve the range of motion of your, your, the bottom of your foot, but also your Achilles and your calf and your hamstrings. Because if those have tightened or shortened, that's probably one of the reasons it's putting more pressure on your plantar fascia. So it just allows people to, as easily uh, as possible, just do exercises to strengthen and improve range of motion of the entire foot and ankle complex, not just part of it. Yeah, and what I really like about it is that, like you said, you're able to add resistance, and you're using some really good materials. You know, they're military grade. You can, um, you know, bring them with you the next time you have to rappel out of a helicopter, and they're really going to to help you do that. Um, and you know, there's there's really five movements, and and you've mentioned most of them, uh, but I I really want to define them so uh, people have a clear understanding of it that. The AFX does make really simple. So there's there's plantar flexion, and this is flexing the foot and the toes downward, sort of toward the sole of the foot, and that's kind of pointing the toes down. Right. Uh, and then of course there's dorsiflexion, and that's flexing the foot and toes upward, and that's toward the shin. Uh, there's toe flexion, which is scrunching the toes down toward the forefoot, and uh, and then the, you have your ankle inversion and eversion. Inversion is bending the ankle inward toward the midline. And there's ankle eversion, which is bending the ankle outward away from your body. So, uh, what's really cool about the AFX that I that I you know have come to love over the last uh, I think two years or so is the fact that you can you know you kind of put your foot in it, you can sit down, and you can you can move your foot in all these different ways. And there's you're right, there's no slippage, and you can progressively add more weight, which is the really important part. Uh, you can do it with resistance and you can continually add more weight so that you can keep your strength gains progressing. And that's, uh, I think, one of the problems with some of the more traditional foot exercises. You know, I think we've all heard of, uh, and, and not to say that these are bad, these are still great exercises, but they just have their limitations. So there's, you know, picking up small objects with your toes and, and kind of dropping them into a cup or something like that. And then there's also, 
you know, putting a little hand towel down on the ground and then using your toes, you can scrunch that towel toward you. Uh, that's one of my favorite ones because you can add, say, a, a big hardcover book to one end of the towel or then you can move to, a, say, a five-pound weight or an eight-pound weight and, and keep progressing that way. So that's one of my more favorite exercises for um, foot strength, particularly for those with plantar fasciitis. Uh, so really making sure that you're, you're increasing the strength of your plantar fascia and all the small musculature in your foot. Those are great exercises, but I, I think what the AFX does is really allows you to uh, take those strength exercises to the next level. Right. Uh, yeah, Jason. And, you know, it's, um, and, and I, I was, I forgot to mention the, the towel scrunching with the toes as well. And that's part of the reason you've used AFX for a couple of years. That's part of the reason we have that soft, um, foam tube underneath the toes is so people can really emphasize that scrunching because you're absolutely right. It's, it's to engage those intrinsic muscles and, uh, and to strengthen. And, and I think what people will find when they do these foot exercises or if they, they also, um, if they use AFX is what's amazing is how quickly your feet can begin to feel strong. Um, you're right. Over the winter, the atrophy, or, or a lot of the times, just by the nature of the sport, we we tend to be fairly weak in other directions. But the muscles are still there. I don't want people to feel that they, they've lost all hope. The muscles are still there. They just need to be engaged. And you would be amazed at how quickly your foot strength can actually build up. And we've had more. We've had so many people uh, talk to us about how they feel like they almost now have talons, you know, on the end of their on the end of their legs. Whereas before it was an afterthought. You wouldn't even really think of your feet except if they hurt. And now they actually feel like it's a real. They they feel stronger. They feel more stable. Um, you know, uh, we we do a lot. We do go to a fair number of marathons and do the the trade show expos. And you know, the the number of times we hear from runners that, well, yeah, you know, I have really bad ankles. I have really bad ankle instability. I I, I walk down the street and bang. Next thing you know, I go over my ankle. Well, we can turn that around to if you strengthen the muscles and tendons that support that ankle, that you don't have those issues anymore and and it can really help it, it can keep your training going uh more injury free and like we've talked about num- numerous times help you get a personal best Matt I'm curious what do you think about custom made orthotics <laughs> um I don't know Jason how many podiatrists listen to your no <laughs> <laughs> uh I think there is a time and a place for custom made orthotics I think there incredibly overprescribed. Um, I think that for some people, uh, having a custom-made orthotic to help them address uh, real uh, debilitating pain is, is a good thing. And I think for certain people, that's the first step they need to take, but it's only a first step. And that, Jason, is from my own personal experience. Before developing AFX, I had the wonderful distinction of being a very often injured athlete. I wasn't a good athlete, but I just happened to get hurt a lot. And somewhere in about my late 20s to early 30s, uh, I developed a really, really bad pain in my knee. And so I, I didn't know what to do. I went to the doc and they're like, you know what, you got to go get some orthotics. And I wasn't a, a biomechanics guy. I'm a medical device guy um, for like uh, uh, digital imaging and stuff like that. And anyways, um, 
so I went and they sent me to a podiatrist or, or podorthos, sorry, and so they gave me some prescription orthotics. And you know what, Jason? They worked. They worked like a hot damn. It was great. And so I was wearing more orthotics. And yippee ki I had no more knee pain. They were able to get my alignment. It was perfect. But then what I started to notice was, okay, I used to wear them in my shoes. And, and then I kind of, to, to play sports. Well, then I had to start wearing them in my shoes to go to work. Because during the day, my feet would get sore and, and that knee pain had come back. And then I noticed that here I am, you know, what, 32 years old. I'm walking around my apartment and I have to put on my shoes. That's not a solution. All those orthotics were doing, in my case, I'm not saying for everybody, but in my case, they made my feet progressively weaker and weaker and weaker to the point where I had to wear running shoes with more orthotics to walk around on a lazy Saturday. And just coincidentally at the time, myself and, and my two other uh, co-founders or co-developers of AFX, we started to develop AFX. I started to do my research, started to take a look at this, and honestly just started testing our prototypes. I stopped needing orthotics. because yeah, I completely... Started... Sorry, I've gone on. But it, to me, it was this amazing eureka moment. It's one of the things that helped me quit my full-time, wonderful-paying job at a university to go after this because it's like, it works. Yeah, I completely agree. Orthotics are usually not right for, for most runners. And I think they're way over prescribed. And I had an interesting conversation with another coach. Um, and I believe it's available on strength running. I would search proper running form. And we talked about orthotics. But, you know, there, there is a time and a place for them. And some runners will benefit from them. But I would say for 90, 95% of cases, you know, you're really just addressing a symptom and you're not treating the underlying cause of uh, usually an injury. And so, uh, you know, for me personally, I was given custom made orthotics when I was transitioning to running at the college level. So I basically went from running 30 to 40 miles a week my senior year in high school to uh, 60 to 70 miles a week over the summer before my freshman year in college uh, to prepare for cross country. And, you know, as any runner will will, will be able to relate, I, after I increased my mileage that dramatically, I strained my arch. And right. I went to the uh, orthopedist and I got custom orthotics. Now, I hated them. They were so uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, they seemed to cause more problems than they actually fixed. And ultimately, I only ran in them for about six or eight weeks before I just had to take them off. And I really had to work on fixing the actual problem rather than address the symptom. And that was uh, with a lot of, of lower leg and, and uh, foot strengthening exercises. And I was able to kind of move past that. But I think for, you know, if, if any runner is either wearing custom orthotics or, or debating getting them, I would first strengthen the foot and lower leg. Spend some time barefoot. Make sure that you have good range of motion. You have good strength. You are increasing your proprioception and your balance and stability. And that really is your first line of defense against foot and lower leg injuries rather than kind of looking for a crutch. And I think, you know, anyone who puts their, their arm in a cast or their leg in a cast or your foot inside an orthotic you're going to lose some muscle control and some muscle strength. And if you are wearing custom-made orthotics, 
I would strongly recommend that you also do some foot and lower leg specific strengthening exercises uh, to help counteract some of the drawbacks and, and negative uh, aspects, <clears throat> excuse me, aspects of having orthotics. You know, you're, you're putting your foot in a much more structured, uh, rigid position. And, uh, you know, you definitely need some of, uh, the strength work to counterbalance that. You're absolutely right. And, um, you know, I've, I've even, I've had a pr- some pretty good debates, conversations, not quite yelling matches, but some good debates with, uh, practitioners that quite regularly and earnestly, prescribe orthotics um and you know even they will concede that while they won't concede that people most orthotics are over prescribed um they will concede that foot exercises will help your orthotics work better even if you can't get rid of them and and there are a small percentage of the population which are going to need them but it will help them work better and certainly your point is spot on jason in that if they decide they don't want to deal with orthotics anymore, just as we talked about transitioning slowly to a minimalist or a barefoot shoe, it's doubly so for orthotics. You you have to do the exercises, you have to do the strengthening, you have to really commit to it. Now, the good thing is, is you can just incorporate this in your regular day-to-day and your regular training, but if you're smart about it, over time, you uh, you can definitely, a lot of people can reduce their reliance on those orthotics. Right. And also, once you've done some consistent strength work, you've worked on your balance, you're spending some time barefoot at home, and you're wearing less constrictive shoes casually or professionally, then you can kind of take the next step with, you know, either wearing more minimalist shoes, or one of my favorite things to do is if you're doing regular strides, take your shoes off and run two to four of them barefoot. And you can work up to, you know, maybe two sessions a week of four barefoot strides. And if you, you know, then can progress into something even more advanced, you can do some of your drills barefoot. So say you're doing a uh, faster workout on the track, you can do your easy running warm up. Uh, You can then take your shoes off and on the infield, you can do two to three, maybe four drills barefoot before putting your shoes back on, doing some strides, and then starting the workout. And it's a really great way to, um, you know, again, everything's related, right? You're not only going to increase your athleticism and reinforce good mechanics, but you are going to increase muscle stiffness. So you're going to be able to run more uh, economically, and you're going to increase strength and proprioception in the foot and lower leg. So, so many benefits to doing just a little bit of barefoot work, uh, but if you can get there, then it's a wonderful place to be. Oh, absolutely! No, you're 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 absolutely right. And and <clears throat> you know, it's uh, as part of your warm up, you wake up those muscles in your feet, you get your proprioception going. You're absolutely right. You're going to see gains uh, in terms of reduced times. Yeah, Matt. So, thanks so much for for talking to me about this today. Uh, I, I had fun with it, and I know that this is not usually a topic that gets a lot of attention. I think it might have. After, you know, Born to Run was published and everyone was really gung-ho about either running barefoot or with minimalist shoes, uh, I'm glad that we could put a spotlight on some of the issues that uh, really affect runners and help them get injured. And now they have some hopefully tangible, actual, uh, actionable strategies for uh, helping them stay healthy long term. Um, before I let you go, I have one question. You have a five and a seven-year-old? 
I do, yes. Now, yeah. I have a one-and-a-half and three-and-a-half-year-old. Three wow. Um, yeah, wow is right. <laughs> <laughs> I um, remember those days, yes. <laughs> and, and one of the things that I'm really – uh, bullish on and you know I, I kind of take a hard stance on it is what shoes my kids wear right. and you know I've always tried to find them shoes that have a zero heel toe drop that have a very wide forefoot and are very flexible um, Matt what shoes have you found to be really conducive to putting the foot in a neutral alignment for kids I uh, well, and I'm not being facetious. No shoes as much as possible. Um, it, like I, I really, uh, when we go to the park, when we go to, uh, when the kids just go outside to play, I, I try to get them into no shoes at all. Um, I've honestly, Jason, I've found it incredibly hit or miss when you're talking about different brands that that uh, might be available. I just. I find, and I, I drive my wife crazy with this. She she understands where I'm coming from, but I, you know, we will spend like the visit the visit to five different shoe stores and probably spend a couple hours just getting the kids shoes so I can get them that wide toe box. But I haven't found a brand that consistently met all my needs. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of different brands, and and I know for really little kids like you know my kids. Uh, I've found some success with StrideRite and also oh, Kiddo right. Fit. Both okay. brands uh, do have certain models that uh, you know are Coach Jason approved for, for nice. little children. Uh, and you know I'm pretty, uh, you know, like I said, I'm really bullish on this. I kind of take a hard stance on it. Just the other day, my wife had ordered my uh, three and a half year old a pair of snow boots, and they did not pass my test, and uh, <laughs> they are going back to the store. And so yep. it's one of the very few things where I'm really, uh, really adamant about because you know the development of the foot, uh, you know, the first five six years of a kid's life are really important when it comes to uh, their alignment and their mechanics and how that foot develops. And so if you can be really strict about it, just through you know. Uh, first, second grade, then you're really setting your kid up to be a uh, good athlete if they so choose later on down the road. Oh, absolutely. And what's shocking to me, Jason, because I remember having a three and a half and a one year, one and a half because our kids are two years apart as well. The shoe choices for flexible shoes weren't that bad. And you've named a couple of exceptional brands. When they get older into different sports, my son has been playing soccer now for three years. Jason, trying to find a soccer cleat or a soccer boot that doesn't have this insanely narrow pointed toe with a hard cleat bottom is darn near impossible. It is so incredibly frustrating. Now, we were able to um, to find uh, some soccer boots to, to make it happen. But no, it, it was I find the older they get, the more dominant certain shoe brands become and just the more highly supportive shoes are available so that's again i just uh, when the kids come home it's just shoes off you know it's not about tracking mud into the house it's entirely about you've got to be able to to get their their feet strengthened yeah and i'm glad i'm not the only parent who lets their kids be barefoot at the park or the playground or places where most kids are wearing shoes because i've gotten yep. some dirty looks in the past six months or so my kids are running around barefoot with filthy feet and i just don't really care because i know that's great for them it, best thing for them yeah. So Matt, thanks so much for being here. This is, uh, uh, I think, really interesting for our listeners. I know it's interesting for me. It's kind of this topic that, uh, you know, I, I really love, but I know it's kind of a niche topic, but I'm glad we could discuss it in a lot more detail. 
Oh, and it's my pleasure, Jason. And I tell you, I think myself and all the listeners of your podcast are really looking forward to your treadmill dancing video that's coming out soon. Isn't isn't that <laughs> happening? I might I might have to <laughs> I might have to put that behind a paywall. <laughs> Buddy, whatever the price, I will gladly pay it. No, that's yeah. uh, <laughs> no, but in all sincerity, Jason, thanks so much. It is a niche topic. I know that. Um, uh, you know, it sounds a lot when we start talking foot and ankle strength, it sounds a lot like lecturing. Um, but I hope the people listening realize that, Hey, you know what? If I'm smart about it, I can incorporate this stuff seamlessly into what I'm doing anyways. And, uh, and certainly if they have had a history of foot and ankle issues and, and problems, the other thing is they can always reach out and, um, talk to me about different exercises and stuff. As you know, I don't put on a hard sale. Uh, when it comes to the product, uh, but um, if they have any questions or exercises that they they think need to be done, they can always contact me as well. So, yeah, and I will mention your website is afx-online.com. So okay. afx online, and there's a hyphen in between there, and uh, you'll be able to see that picture of uh, the jacked foot with some abs <laughs> right along the plantar fascia, which is your logo. Uh, I really love that. Um, uh, love that image so thanks so much for being here matt really appreciate it and uh we'll be in touch soon sounds great jason thanks again there it is runners i hope you enjoyed this conversation with afx founder matt ferguson and i want to do something a little bit different today something i haven't done before an easter egg hidden in this podcast episode just for you i'm not going to mention this on the blog or elsewhere on social media, but I did ask Matt for a discount code and he graciously accepted. So if you do happen to struggle with lower leg or foot injuries and you can't seem to stay healthy for more than a month or two, I do recommend the AFX. It's used by elite athletes, it has a lot of PhDs and top coaches on board, and I own it myself actually. So I want to hook you up. Use the code STRENGTHRUN, no space, all caps, to get 10% off at checkout. One more time, the code is STRENGTHRUN, and you can use that at afx-online.com. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this dive into shoes and foot injuries, and don't forget to run smart and run strong.